0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Cedar is an important part of many tribal cultures. The tall evergreens in the Pacific Northwest are carved into totem poles and canoes. The spiny and fragrant leaves can be used to flavor food. It's also incorporated into ceremony and has some medicinal use. In this next hour, we'll talk about the significance of cedar in Native America, and catch up with the makers of A Cedar is Life, a documentary about cedar in British Columbia. We'll be back after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal, state, and federal officials hailed the removal of four dams along the Klamath River near the California-Oregon line this week. It's a major step toward restoring a once-thriving watershed. Christina honested reports.
2: It was a decades-long battle, but soon removing four dams along the Klamath River will open up hundreds of miles of wild river habitat to salmon, a fish that's sacred to nearby Native American tribes.
3: My dream is to not only bring the salmon back but bring back a, a way of life.
2: Karuk Chair Russ Atteberry was among the tribal federal and state leaders who gathered to celebrate the largest dam removal project in the country. Work begins next year, completion set for 2024, but Atteberry says more work will remain for decades to come.
4: There are ways we can actually restore those creeks and streams that feed our rivers and, and, and enhance and, and we understand Mother Nature's way and uh, combine tribal ecolo- ecological knowledge and the knowledge of observation from generation to generation uh, with modern science. That's, that's the best way to go.
2: Removal of the dams will also return California's second largest river to a free-flowing wild river for the first time in more than a century. For National Native News, I'm Christina Onestead in California.
1: A bill to stop the export of sacred Native American items to other countries recently passed the Senate. Aaron Bolton has more.
0: The Safeguard Tribal Objects of Patrimony or Stop Act passed through Congress last week. The law will prohibit the export of tribal cultural items that were
5: obtained illegally. Doing so could result in fines or up to a year in jail
0: for first-time offenders and up to 10 years for second-time offenders. The bill had been introduced in Congress for years and had previously passed the Senate, but never made it through both chambers until now. It's unclear when President Biden will sign the bill into law. For National Native News, I'm Erin Bolton.
1: A rocket loaded with a cluster of communication satellites lifted off from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida Thursday. They're part of OneWeb's efforts to create a worldwide network of low-Earth orbit satellites. The rocket is carrying 40 satellites, the most it's ever sent into space at one time. OneWeb's Katie Dowd says the latest expansion could be a game changer for some of Alaska's most isolated communities with little or no Internet access. She says her company already serves a few communities in southwest Alaska and hopes to add more. Today's launch will allow us to not only strengthen the service we're delivering, but also expand coverage. Chris Cropley oversees the Clinkett and Haida Central Council's Tribal Broadband Program. He says his tribal government serves about 20 communities in southeast Alaska, and while fiber optic cable is normally the preferred option, it's too expensive to reach many small, isolated villages.
5: It's going to take more billions of dollars than, than are in the entire federal budget to bring fiber to everybody, where with satellites, they can bring... Broadband to the world.
1: Cropley says his tribal government has about 60 million federal dollars to spend on broadband projects over the next four years. And while it may sound like a lot, it's not when you consider Alaska's challenging geography. Liesl McGuire represents OneWeb in Alaska and says that federal money for tribal broadband helps put tribes in the driver's seat. Prior to that, tribes were, I think, in many ways relegated to the back seat
6: where Decisions would be made by companies, and they would hope they would be
1: benefiting, but not always. OneWeb says it's planning three more satellite launches next year, which will allow the company to offer global services. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: National Native News is produced by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation,
4: with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
5: What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? Or they ask for a gift card so you can avoid going to jail? Stop. It's a scam. Gift cards are for gifts, not payments. Report scams at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small-batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort yuma Poisson Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com news.
4: Native Voice 1, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. The bark, wood, and leaves of cedar trees are important components of Native culture. In many Native communities, cedar is used in arts and crafts and prized for its strength and moldability. A new documentary, "A Cedar Is Life," highlights the many uses of cedar by tribes in the Pacific Northwest. Here's an excerpt from the film.
7: So you have to know my stories begin of time when peoples were populating the earth. They to go to the mountain to make a trip, and they're gonna stay there for a time. As they're going up that mountain, they're gathering their medicines, they're gathering the ferns, the roots. They got three-quarter of the way, and the bear come out and chased them. And the woman screamed and they come run down And as they were running, screaming, the bear was getting closer. So the creator looked down, he had mercy on them. So he made all the woman into cedar tree and she'll give you all that she has.
0: That was a clip from the documentary, A Cedar is Life. It focuses on the importance of cedar and sheds light on how the timber industry and environmental changes negatively impact the cedar forests and limit indigenous people's access to the majestic conifers. We'll speak with the filmmaker and other native guests today about the cultural, medicinal, and culinary significance of cedar. And we encourage you to join the conversation by telling us about the role of cedar in your native culture. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Looking forward to your call. On the line in Duncan in British Columbia, Vancouver Island, Canada, is Harold Joe. He's the director, producer, and writer of A Cedar is Life. He's from the Cowichan First Nation. Harold, thanks for joining us today.
6: Absolutely. My pleasure. my, My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Harold let me begin by congratulating you on the new film. I had a chance to preview it this week and I learned a lot about the importance of cedar among West Coastal First Nations people.
6: Nice. Thank you. Uh yeah, it was it was a real treat doing that film. And the important part of it, Sean, I think is is to document and preserve that being. It's a being. I look at it as a being, not, you know, not just a Conifer or a cedar tree, we've always looked at it like it it was, you know, a gift from the creator, of course. And I guess
0: go ahead. Please go. Well, no, I I was just going to say, you know, I mean, one point that's made during the film, which I found really interesting, is that cedars are revered by many cultures around the world, not just indigenous people in North America. And why do these trees hold such universal appeal? It's it's.
6: Like I said just a second a bit ago about you know, a gift from the creator to the Indigenous population throughout, you know, parts of the world. It's it's uh, uh, a being that was given to us here in Vancouver Island. You heard the elder say, Florence, about that that story she shares with you on uh, in the film. And that was quite a story she shared. And she shared other things as well. But... Looking at that, Sean is is you know when I, I think about other nations and other indigenous communities, that that being has always been, you know, a very special you know part of our life. It's essential to us here in in Vancouver Island, the West Coast. Uh, it, it it's a living being, and we've we've always treated it as such, and still up to and even when the ancestors. Uh, you know, when I do archaeological work as well, I'm a cultural knowledge keeper here in our community, and, and I do all the repatriation for ancestral people, our ancestors, and even then, you know, ten, eight thousand years ago, you know, we're finding cedar in and amongst with our ancestors as well. So it goes back, you know, thousands of years, let's this, just this
0: And Harold, when did you first have this idea to to make a film just about cedar and its significance?
6: Um, we, had, we had talked about it about a year ago, and uh, it, it, got, it got legs right away once my partner, Leslie Bland, who uh, is my partner in, my, in the film um, company, um, said, well, let's see if we can get some funding. And uh, if, I, if I may share, Sean, uh, well, we were able to get some funding and um, film produced through support from Super Channel. And our local TV broadcaster here, Check 6, Check TV, and CMF, and the Rogers Documentary Fund. And right now, it's on a festival run, Cedar's Life. It's doing some you know, festival screenings. Um, it premiered in Red Nation as well, uh, in Los Angeles. And April, it'll premiere here in my community at a couch and theater and screen it here and have the local people come out and see it here as well. And FNX has, has expressed a lot of interest in it as well. So, yeah, it's, it's essential, Sean, to document all our stories as much as, much as we can, as, especially for me, because here in our community, we're losing a lot of our elders, our knowledge holders. And with that, you know, when you lose an elder, he or she passes, there's a lot of gifts they carry teachings. Wyatt is teachings. And when he or she goes, we, we don't we lose that. So what I'm trying to do, like what the Cedar is life, is to preserve those, you know, people, stories, um, gifts they each carry. And and that's that's my important part. And to educate, for sure, absolutely.
0: Now, you interviewed a a wide range of First Nations people, artists, uh, knowledge keepers and and cultural specialists such as yourself. Can you you give us an overview of some of the people that appear in the film?
6: Yeah, uh, there was, you know, uh, went up to Haida Gwaii is where we started up. Um, And then we started there and we started getting, you know, different artists, you know, artists like uh, Mr. Hunt would say, hey, have you talked to this this guy? And you would go, no, who's he? And he'd share, or she would share some, you know, another artist that we should be in contact with. And plus, we were doing a bunch of research here locally and uh, a wide range of different artists, you know, up off the West Coast and the Northwest Coast, and just started to gather every everything that was important for the film to get into the film so and there were some that were were busy as well but you know once one artist came in they said hey you should communicate you know talk to so and so and see if he or she's about Oh, okay so that's how we we pretty much got a lot of these artists and each one of them Sean talking from a spiritual aspect that that living being is is is, is a spiritual living being for our people here um I don't need to tell you guys but uh you know it it's it clothed us warmed us housed us. Uh it was our our main source for being on the highway and the waters, right? We traveled a lot. We we went over to the mainland over to Vancouver and up into the Oregon coast and bartered with other nations from here us people from Couch and here. And uh yeah, that that tree has been more than essential for us to have a big part of our lives for thousands of years.
0: There were so many really profound moments uh, in the film. Um, There's one point where where one of the artists is is working on a a large piece of cedar, and he talks about how there's there's images in those cedar in those cedar planks. And as you as you train and as you do more and get more experience, you begin to see those images and, and you bring them out. And and it's the influence of the ancestors. I found that so fascinating. And then but also there's risk to the cedar and, and these logging companies and the way they're clear cutting some of these forests and and that's covered extensively as well. And um what 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 do we need to to be aware of and, and, and how at risk are these these cedar forests uh up in, in British Columbia where you are and other parts of, of the coastal areas in the Pacific, uh are are they in grave danger uh, for the future?
6: Absolutely, Sean, absolutely. I mean, here in Vancouver Island, there's, you know, logging companies right now in the back end of, of where we're about mm, 27K from the top of our river system here in Couch. Um, and in the back there, they're just just raping it. And if you go drive back there and and you see all these uh, or you see as you're going in all these trucks coming out and 90% of them are carrying cedars. And it's sad because, you know, I mean, they're not, you know, there's some of them aren't, aren't very, there is hardly any old growth up here now. Um, but just last year, Fairy Lake um, was a big protest up in the uh, Apache Latin um, nation. Um, and there, there was a bunch of protest up in there and non-natives, and Native people alike protesting this uh, company up there. And the police were there, and and you could see these trucks coming out of there and hauling these nice cedars out of there. And as that's going on, you know, uh, the crew asked, you know, should we we document? So I said, absolutely. Get in and see if we can get some of the, you know, the council or elders and and share some of their concerns about what's going on. And, yes, absolutely, Sean, we should all be... uh, you know, aware of what's going on. I mean, I don't know what's going on in the States too much, but here it's a valued commodity right now for the logging industry to, to uh, cut down these trees. And I guess there's some value for them. There's a good price for them. So yeah, it's, it's a scary scene up here. Absolutely.
0: Well, I know the point is made during the film that uh, the colonial way is to look at cedar as another resource. And uh, that's the motivation for um, the, uh, the way they're handling some of these logging companies with these cedar forests there in, in that part of uh, British Columbia, Vancouver Island. We're talking now with Harold Joe, and uh, he's a director and writer and producer of this new documentary film, A Cedar is Life. And uh, really, really interesting film, uh, provides a lot of history, a lot of cultural insights, a lot of information about the significance of cedar trees and cedar as a material, as a building material, as medicine amongst our native people. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. The US Supreme Court is considering whether business owners can refuse service to LGBTQ customers. At the same time, Congress is securing federal protections for same-sex marriage. We'll check in with Native LGBTQ advocates about the current environment when it comes to equality and safety. That's on the next Native America Calling.
3: Cashay. Prevent the spread of flu and other respiratory illnesses by rolling up your sleeve to get a flu shot. Mask up, sleeve up, contact your local Indian health care provider for more information or visit www.medicare.gov slash coverage slash flu dash shots. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services,
0: this is native america calling i'm sean spruce from an optimal carving material to a flavorful addition to food there are many uses for cedar among native peoples how is cedar used in your native community join the conversation 1-800-996-2848 that's also 1-800-99 native our phone lines are open now so give us a call and we're talking now with harold joe he's the director writer and producer of a cedar is life this new documentary and Harold, again, it's just so fascinating. The the many uses of cedar uh, traditionally. Homes were built from it. Clothing was made. Uh, our Native people used it for transportation in the form of canoes, and of course the medicinal benefits as well. And I wanted to ask you about that, the medicinal side, because cedar is sacred in so many Native communities. And did you have to be careful about what type of information uh, you revealed when, when you were filming?
6: Absolutely, Sean. Um, talking with our elders, and making sure that we were, we were okay to share some of the, the teachings that this uh, being offers us. So there's things, you know, like I'm also, uh, uh, I've been a gravedigger in our community for many years. I did that for about 40 some odd years. And I picked that up from my grandfather who passed that on to me. So it was generation to generation. And that was my time. So I walked with that work. And in and, and, and our funerals, we use a lot of cedar for cleansing and, and working with death and in the new world and the old world, <clears throat> excuse me, as well. Um, you heard me share a bit of, a bit ago with you when I'm repatriating ancestral people here, we were, you know, laid to rest in cedar. Uh so that you know, going back, you know, thousands of years, uh it just amazes amazes me as a First Nations person to see that our ancestors utilize that being for that period of time, you know, when you're looking at remains that are either desecrated or I'm um, to go retrieve from development or even in my reserve, um, they're laid and wrapped with cedar. It, it just, yeah, it's, it's totally amazing.
0: Mm. Yeah. R- really, really powerful. And, Uh, So, Harold, earlier you shared um, that the movie is experiencing a festival run right now. Uh, Where can our listeners go to to learn more about the film, and and when will it be available for the general public?
6: Well, friends and and relatives out there in uh, Native Country, you can can friend us on Facebook, Orca Cove Media, and you can get all the information about what we're doing, what's coming um yeah Orchid code media Friend us on facebook and um <clears throat> yeah and then you can be on the up and up on where and when um i know fnx is definitely going to be purchasing or taking uh cedar's life and running it through their broadcast so we've had meetings with them and we're really excited to uh you know spread the uh Why it's the teaching on with uh, other nations in uh, Canada and United States. So in the spring of coming next year, when it uh, airs.
0: Well, Harold, uh, congratulations again, and thank you for joining us. Uh, The film is titled A Cedar is Life, and anybody who has a question for Harold, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. If you'd like to learn more about what went into making this documentary film, we've got Harold here on the show today, and he'd be happy to answer your questions. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Let's head south now to the southeast, and speaking with us from North Augusta, South Carolina, is Dave Smoke McCluskey. He's a chef and owner of The Corn Mafia, an indigenous foods online store. He's Mohawk. Chef Dave, welcome back to Native America Calling.
4: Thank you, good morning.
0: Well, Chef Dave, I gotta tell you, I love the name Corn Mafia, but I'm kind of afraid to ask where it came from.
4: I used to tour on on uh, the uh, southern boucherie circuit. So so uh, boucherie are are, are uh, an old Cajun way of of showing folks how to how to preserve pogs, if you will. So kind of a community event. And I taught uh, basically the nixtamalization of corn and corn usages uh, from the native standpoint at these events. And uh, one of my friends has a company called Pork Mafia. Um, he he does spice rubs and stuff, and uh, he kind of dubbed our little crew uh, the Corn Mafia one year when we there were just two or three of us that were there at the table working, and he turned around and there were 40 chefs there helping us pick the tips off of corn. So uh, the name <laughs> stuck, and we toured around kind of as that team doing that at different boucheries in the southeast, and, and uh, it just seemed like a fun name to use for the company, so we did.
0: Very cool, very cool well chef dave, let's talk about cedar in, in native foods. uh What are some ways you incorporate it into your cooking?
4: Um, primarily with the corn mafia, I use cedar cedar ash to nixtamalize my corn um, in the in the southwest um, you, you know juniper and pinion is often used to do that um, cedar being in the same family as those trees um. We don't have juniper opinion here in the Southeast. So, but we do have Eastern red cedar. So, um, I wondered if it'd work and kind of help out. It kind of helps to set the blue, if you will, in your corn, as you wash it, uh, blue corn tends to turn, uh, kind of cement colored after it's been turned into hominy. So, um, and it does set that blue tint just a little bit, which is, which is kind of a neat, neat thing. Uh, I sometimes say it's sacred. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also use a little bit. Um, part of my drying process in, in, includes a fire roasting of all of our hominy, so there's a little bit of cedar incorporated with that kind of uh, kind of as a sacred offering, if you will, w- will with with all of our corn uh, that we process here. So, um, you know, many different uses, uh, but that's my main use of it. We we uh, do a little bit of cedar tea. My son and I actually uh, here in the southeast with the with the with the red cedar, uh, the eastern red cedar, it doesn't uh, take so well. So it's not super happy this this far south, I guess. Um, but, so there's a lot of die off. So he, he and I tend to harvest some of the dry off, and we use that for our wood ash uh, when we see it, um, and it's great in the fire as as well. Um, but you know, we go in the woods and we <clears throat> knock them down and leave an offering, and off we go. Um, but again, we also gather the leaves and, and, uh, branches and stuff to make cedar tea. Um, <clears> how <throat> do you make,
0: branch. I'm sorry, when you make it's, the cedar tea, do you, do you boil the leaves or do you steep it? What's the um, best way?
4: I, I don't, I steep it. Um, folks say that, that, uh, boiling, it kind of makes turpentine, if you will, if you boil it too much. So to avoid that, um, I just steep it, um, for, you know, for. 10 or 15 minutes or maybe a little longer uh, so you start to see some of the color in the water, and then we strain it off from there. A turpentine will kind of make you not feel too good. So um. <laughs> for
0: sure. <laughs> you know, one year for Christmas I got these cedar planks to to put on yeah. the grill for salmon and things like that. And uh, Traditionally, is that how I- indigenous people use cedar planks to cook with?
4: Um, I'd say yes and no. Back in the 90s, I probably cooked thousands of pounds of, of uh, fish on that, you know, mainly salmon on those, on those planks when I was living in Boston. Um, but it, it, it kind of, it could be a possibility. There's some argument about the planks themselves, but uh, I, I grew up hearing stories about, you know, cooking fish by the stream on, on, on boughs, if you will, so branches. So that, that that makes a little bit more sense to me. Um, you know, it would would you'd kind of support those whole fish on on pieces of wood, if you will, or branches of cedar, um, and then hold them towards the fire. So, um, <clears throat> I think either or would work. I kind of like the planks, and I think the folks out west may be able to tell you more about that. Um,
0: yeah, let's ask, let's we ask Harold. A lot of, let's yeah, ask. Yeah, I don't uh, think we did yeah. a lot
4: of plank usage here,
0: Harold. Uh... Cooking cedar on, on those uh, cedar planks, or the salmon on cedar planks, is that a common practice there in your part of, the, of British Columbia?
6: Absolutely, Sean, absolutely. We're still practicing that, that use up until up today. We have a, a First Nation chef here in our community, and he uh, does his work and uses cedar planks uh, as a serving and uh, puts the salmon on it, and we're traditionally smoking them as well here in uh, Vancouver Island. So, yes, we do the cedar planks here.
0: Awesome. Thanks for that information, Harold. And uh, Chef Dave, you have an interesting story about cedar and celebrity chef Emeril Lagasse. Tell us about it.
4: Um, I did a cooking demo on uh, just before Thanksgiving, oh, God, probably 20 years ago now, on CBS this morning. And, 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 as I'm setting up, they were gluing the whole front side of the, the, the cooking demo. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, table, but they roll out onto the soundstage. And, uh, you know, I was asking, Hey, what's going on? And they said, well, Emeril Lagasse was here the week previous and he did cedar plank salmon, which was kind of funny because I was doing cedar plank salmon on that as well uh, for this, for this holiday meal. And uh, apparently Emeril had decided to grill his his cedar plank salmon on cedar shingles on the grill and set the <laughs> whole grill on fire there on stage. <laughs> so, um, that, you know, uh, uh, fat and salmon and, and, and the nice flammability of cedar uh, uh, don't necessarily go together on top of a grill. They go great in an oven or uh, within indirect heat, if you will. Um, but I thought that was, was kind of funny. I've always remembered that about, <laughs> about that. I've seen people grilling on, uh, on shake, shake shingles, and it's kind of funny, but uh, it, it's a great, great cooking medium, uh, particularly if you soak the wood. So soak you that wood, steaming.
0: but yeah, that's you the key, it, you right? Know, you, you, you,
4: yeah. You get your oven really high, or if you're tilting towards the fire, um, what you get is you get two different. Uh, methods of cooking, so you get a nice roasting on the outside so you get it nice and dark and kind of caramelized if you will, and then it steams from underneath so you've you 've got some great texture there, and if you 've got fresh planks you 've got uh, some of that cedar kind of popping through um, mm-hmm. so it's it 's an interesting way of cooking I, I I really enjoyed doing that like like that all those years ago.
0: I'm getting hungry just just listening to you talk <laughs> yeah. about this. Holy cow!
4: We, we must have done thousands of pounds of salmon on it. It was a, it, it was great. Uh it was a great thing. We couldn't get rid of it once we stopped. Kind of, or we did a Native American menu in the fall, and uh, we couldn't get rid of it the rest of the year. People were always asking for cedar plank salmon, so we did that for years in the nineties. <clears throat> but, but we one of the other uses that, that, that we use are, are the berries here in the southeast. So. Uh, we use those in dry rubs.
0: And would you just uh, mash them down and do a, dry them and mash them, or how do you, how do you actually harvest them?
4: Uh, you know, now I'd either put them in a mortar and pestle or in my little coffee grinder, and we grind them all up and we add them to salt and, you know, whatever other spices you want. Um, I find that they're great with roasted potatoes or roasted squash as as kind of the main seasoning of that. That's that's one of our things as as natives. Uh, that we've lost with our foods a lot of the time are our, 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 our seasonings, if you will, um, or, or some of those other uh, other flavors that we added to our foods. And, and, and a lot of that is reflective of kind of being put on reservations and not all, uh, allowing to be uh, near what we used to forage. So um, I use them as kind of one of, those, one of those things that we're bringing back some of the flavor to our foods with. Um, so roasted squash, roasted potatoes, they're great. Um, okay, but they're great. I neat as well with a little bit of salt.
0: And there are berries on on cedars down there where you're at.
4: Yep, uh, eastern red cedar has a berry on them, um, and they kind of look kind of waxy. So they're they're um, they're they're small, kind of like a peppercorn, kind of bluish. Interesting,
8: and,
9: interesting.
4: Uh, at my friend's farm, they've they've got a few old cedar trees that are kind of decorative in the front in their front yard of their farmhouse, and I go there and. Uh, that's usually loaded with berries. So um, (coughs) pick them as you see them. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) We've got a caller on the line right now uh, listening on Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Pine Ridge, South Dakota. You're on the air.
9: Hello, hello. Uh, Could you hear me?
0: I can, loud and clear.
9: Okay, this is Ken Hart. Calling from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, the Great Lakota Nation. And uh, i like to just pass this word on to our people and the rest of the world. And this regards the red cedar tree. And this was uh, brought to me about 10 years ago from the elderly from that community who are no longer with us. And I would like the rest of the world and our Lakota people to know that there is hope for our people. Okay, let me explain the best way I can and the way I was told. And the massacre of Wounded Knees, two days after the massacre of two days, two days after the massacre, after the storm, after the snow covered the ground, covered all the bodies. There was two grandmas and a young girl hidden in a ravine, and they had a blanket covered themselves, and the snow covered them. The cavalry come looking through and missed them, didn't find them. They rode on, so one of the grandmas shook the blanket off, and they both stood up, and as they stood up to leave and run for cover, one of the grandmas looked down, and she saw a little tree growing about two inches off the ground and there was blood, they don't know where, blood was dripping on the ground, uh, rolling towards the tree, and at that time, it was just after a blizzard, and it was really cold, but it was never understood why the blood was running towards the tree, but when it hit the tree, that the grandma and the little girl took off. Okay, later in life, through a ceremony, the interpretation was brought out, that that tree became the red cedar tree, the red cedar tree of the life of the Lakota people. And that's why we call it the red cedar tree. It is the life of the Lakota people. So this red cedar tree grew for many, many, many years, late into the 70s, alongside of a hill in Mugitne, South Dakota. An elderly gentleman by the name of Crooked Eyes took care of this tree. Until he passed away, this tree kept growing and growing. The younger generation came along and cut the tree down for firewood without knowing what kind of tree it was. But today, this tree is growing all over the reservation, and that is the red cedar tree, the tree of life. And that's where the healing and the mending is going to happen and has happened in Wounded Knee, South Dakota. And that red cedar tree represents the Red Nation rising. So okay. I'm, I'm glad that I got to say this to the younger generation that may be listening, can research it, understand it. And may I say this at the end, Dona ni lakota pihechi hena da yuk tempo, heavy choni head shaks below. Sada yuk tempo, lena daku eprechi, we jock hello. Lakoto ya techi unyuk telo. Ho, what pila ichi ya fellow, no mak u pikelo. Okay, sir, I just thank my people for listening and I thank the great white world for listening. Thank you so
0: much. Thank you so much for that call. We are going to have to take a break, but wise, wise words coming to us from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. We'll be right back, folks.
5: This month and every month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBPControl. This support provided in partnership with HHS OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the cultural significance of cedar today. It's sometimes used in ceremony and has some medicinal use. How is cedar used in your native community? Do your people build with cedar? Do they use it to weave clothing? Do they carve it into sculptures? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848 and tell us why cedar is important to you. And right now we have chef dave smoke mccluskey on the line and chef dave uh quick question before we move on to our next guest what are some good resources for people that want to learn more about cooking with cedar
4: (laughs) oh boy uh, you're gonna have to track that down kind of on the internet i would say Uh, um, i don't know of any books that you would get you know a lot of direct knowledge out of um you know some of my knowledge just just kind of comes from foraging so Um, and, and I'm kind of interested in science or native science, if you will. So, um, I I do a lot of reading on the ingredients that I, that I use. Um, most foraging books would be able to cover a lot of this stuff, um, as far as, as usages of cedar and, and, and what's permissible, what's not, or, you know, what you shouldn't be, be doing. But um, with most native food, you kind of pick things up in dribs and drabs here and there, and uh, you know usually your elders are a good source of info. Um, you could you could sometimes uh, try try my say my Instagram account at, at, at Corn Mafia, but uh, I kind of throw random bits of info out as well. Um, I don't know of a book where I could go to and say here's okay. all you know here's all, all of the definitive knowledge that I know on cedar um it's it's all kind of applied stuff and just stuff that i've picked up over the years you, you know you you do a lot of listening
0: okay um, all right no worries no worries I um I, I, all right no worries i do want to share a, a resource uh one of our producers on native america calling who we all know well andy murphy who often hosts our menu food shows uh, she's got a podcast called Toasted Sister, and I know she deals with some cedar recipes and some tips and best practices for cooking with cedar, so that might be one place to get started, listeners, if you're interested in learning more about how to cook with cedar. So really fascinating conversation we're having today, learning all about these different uses of cedar, its significance among many, many native cultures, and we've got one more guest on the show today. Joining us now from Lawrence, Kansas, is Reuben Littlehead. He's an announcer for the Gathering of Nations Pow Wow, and he's Northern Cheyenne. Welcome back to NAC, Ruben. Yes,
8: sir. Good afternoon.
0: Ruben, as a radio broadcaster, I've always been really impressed by your voice. Whenever I hear you on the mic at Pow Wows, I'll tell you, if my voice was like half as deep as yours, I'd make a whole lot more money.
8: Oh, man. <laughs> well, thank you, and... uh uh just sitting here listening to everybody this afternoon, enjoying the information, enjoying the words and to the uh to the relatives up there in uh Lakota country as well. Want to say uh ahoo, ha cola lo, like that
0: way. There we go. That's that voice we all know and love coming through loud and clear. Well, Ruben, we're learning so much today about the importance of of cedar and native culture. And tell us about its use in powwow.
8: Well, you know, in powwow, um, cedar is used. uh, I heard someone uh, earlier talk about, the the, the fellow up there in B.C. talk about the burning of cedar and using it as a cleansing, like a smudge. You know, um, that's always been used not only just in ceremony, but it's used, you know, in powwow times to kind of cleanse off outfits, feathers, and then also to kind of uh, anytime you're in a a new community, um, you know, a new powwow somewhere, it's always good to smudge off, to to cleanse off, and then uh, to cleanse your outfit, your feathers back off as well. Um, But cedar itself, the wood, you know, it's used to make cedar boxes to transport and carry your feathers, your plumes. And um, one of the things that I wanted to share today was I know uh, an elder once told me that um, uh, pine boxes made out of pine are good. You know, they're very easy to, to construct and, you know, to form, uh, such as cedar. cedar's a a softwood as well. But cedar, it carries a, uh, a certain distinct. Distinct uh, incense, you know, just the wood itself. And, and it keeps out, um, repels like bugs or insects that want to may try to get inside, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and I know that's another factor and, you know, that, uh, I never knew until later, but just cedar itself, it just carries that real sacred significance because of the wood itself and where it comes from. Um, Cedar boxes, uh, different fan cases to carry your fans, um, and then also just to carry some of your regalia, right? Some of your most prized possessions, and to keep it in these cedar boxes. Uh, Ruben,
0: you mentioned you know how it can prevent bugs and things like that, and I'm just thinking about you know a lot of folks put cedar little pieces of cedar in their closets, and it'll keep moths away from wool sweaters right. and things like. that. It's been used for for many many years, and, and it also brings up you mentioned the scent. And how it has that really distinct aroma, and I want to bring Harold back into the conversation briefly because Harold, that was that was another part of your documentary that I found so fascinating is is that one gentleman was talking about how you can tell each cedar has a different scent as just like people, and he had you even look smelling inside different boxes, and you could tell the age of the cedar and where they grow just based on the scent. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit, Harold?
6: Hmm. Absolutely, Sean. Um, yeah, uh, there's another uh, 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 clip, or not a clip, but an uh, elder we interviewed who works with cedar caskets. And when he was telling me about, when we sat with him about, uh, he makes caskets for our communities here on Vancouver Island and still making them. And he's got a group of people who go out and he gets all his wood. But uh, he was talking about the scent and that aroma, what you're talking about. And it goes, you know, it, you know, we're, we're wrapped in cedar at birth. We're laid to rest in cedar at death. And to go back into the earth in a cedar casket was, from his point of view, was just, you know, was the proper and, and respectful way. I mean, that way as well, um, mm-hmm. Sean has been practiced for thousands of years. So, yeah, that, that aroma and that scent... You know, when, when I think about that and you go, you're laid to rest and you're back in that cedar box and to have that, you know, kind of like a blanket, if you will, to take you back to uh, the spirit world.
0: Well, thanks for chiming in there, Harold. And and let's go back to Ruben now. And, and Ruben, you mentioned uh, people store their power regalia in cedar boxes, their feathers. And where do folks get those cedar boxes? Do they make them themselves? Do they trade for them? Uh, where do they come from mostly?
8: Uh, you know, a lot of people are crafty and they, you know, they can make their own. Um, but just like, you know, a lot of, uh, vendors that come to different powwows, there's different people. Um, I got a a Navajo friend of mine out there in um, Arizona, his name is Carlos Slim and he's made me a few boxes. Um, I have a Cherokee friend down in Oklahoma uh Jerry so uh he I got a box from him and then um then there's uh a, a, a Crow guy out there in Southern California, San Diego or somewhere in that area. His name is Richard D. Crane. And he makes a lot of uh unique custom made boxes, you know, like for um like the crowns that the women's traditional wear. Uh like the southern traditional women, they wear these crowns, right? And so he makes these little square boxes that, you know, fit their, their crown and they're, they're just all custom made. Right. So there's, there's individual people out there in, 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 in power world that, that make, make cedar boxes. And, um, another thing too, you know, cedar is made for like the head roaches that, that, uh, you know, the, the dance regalia on top, the porcupine head roach and the, the stick that's used to wrap the hair, you know the roach round uh, a lot of times is made out of cedar um just for the simple fact of it's it's easy to carve it's easy to to mold to to fit your roach, but like I said, it also carries that that uh protection spiritual sense on on using the cedar wood
0: mm.
9: <clears throat>
8: mm.
0: You know, I, I know, uh, I'm a big fan of those cedar hats, uh, the big wide brim cedar hats, and I know those aren't like, like necessarily a part of like, uh, you know, like powwow regalia, like what we usually expect, but sometimes you'll see, you know, at, at big powwows with folks from, from different tribes, you'll see people out there like in a grand entry wearing those cedar hats. I always think those look cool.
8: They are, yeah. A lot of the Northwest tribes, Northwest coastal tribes up in that area, um, I I've, I've been gifted a a couple hats you know over the years serving as power MC up in Muckleshoot uh Tulalip uh Pialup um, um 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 I'm 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 probably going to leave a try about somebody's listening.
0: So <laughs> it to, reads it, it reads like a, a who's who's list of uh Puget Sound yeah. and uh Washington, so you get all over, Ruben, I will tell you. Uh, well, Ruben, your own family, uh, all of your regalia uh, that you folks carry, do you, do you pretty much carry it and house it all in cedar boxes then?
8: Uh the feathers we do. Yes, the like the top feathers that my boys use, the plumes that my daughter wears. Um, you know, they're housed in, 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 different individual cedar boxes and, um, you know, but, but, uh, just real quickly about those cedar hats, you know, of what I'm told about them, they carry a lot of different, uh, you know, to make one and, and to receive one, you know, it's kind of a high honor. And, um, I know that myself, uh, my son, my oldest boy was gifted one as well. And, um, they, you know, they're just very real significant. And and I'm um, you know I'm always appreciative of different uh, Indian communities we go to to receive gifts like that. So I kind of give them recognition, giving them a little love. Um, but uh, you know, cedar. one more thing I wanted to share, Sean, real quickly, if I have time, you know, just a couple minutes was, you know, years ago that's where the Cheyenne we received our our flute from. We received our our flute from the from the cedar tree and the, the cedar tree was there was a it was an old cedar tree and there was a branch sticking out and it was hollowed out right this this uh hollowed out branch it was an old cedar tree and it was the woodpecker it was the woodpecker that was um that was crying and he was crying because he he got mad at the creator god because creator because he made the robin have pretty voice to sing he made the meadowlark with pretty feathers. He he had all the, he was jealous, kind of jealous of all these other birds that had all these gifts. And so finally, um, the creator spoke to him and told him what his gift was. And so while he was up there on the cedar branch, he had the gift of 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 carving the wood right with his beak. And so he made these holes on that branch. And then as the wind came, the creator came and brought the wind and it blew through the cedar branch, the hollow cedar branch. The the woodpecker would dance on those holes that he made and it made that real pretty flute sound. And and then in turn, it attracted all these people and everybody wanted to to be like the woodpecker. And then uh, the Cheyenne man came and, and heard him and then they made a trade. They made a trade, and then uh, the, the Cheyenne man took that branch and uh, the, cedar, the cedar flute, and that's how it was created, the first flute.
0: The very first flute, cedar flute. Yep. Wow. Great story, Ruben. Great story. Thank you. You know, one of the things that um, I think is so cool about Pow Wow is how it brings so many Native communities and cultures together. You know, now so many different tribal people participate in powwow from so many different nations. And are, are you seeing, uh, Ruben, just uh, out there uh, on the road? Are you seeing just, just a lot more cultural exchange among different tribes uh, thanks to powwow? And, and also, like, with regard to cedar, do you think more tribes are, are are using cedar smudging and burning it and using it that maybe traditionally didn't?
8: I, I would agree so, yeah. I, and, and in my opinion, yes and you know i've been to a lot of communities where even the act of smudging and the act of uh you know every tribe has a different way of doing things right and but the more commonly universal a lot of a lot of the plains tribes have different um ways of smudging and using cedar using sage cedar sweet grass you know some of the other some of the other um um you know ways of uh, of incense. You know of other herbs and and roots and 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 uh, you know stuff like that. So when you use cedar, you know there's ways of of using it in ceremony, like Native American church, in, into the coals on the fireplace, or there's cedar used in um, you know in, in in powwow, like I said, you know to smudge off, or. Uh, I, I heard it one, one time before earlier with the gentleman from BC talking about at funerals, and and in funerals, you know, it, it's used the same way as to cleanse, but it's also to welcome. When 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 we burn that cedar, it welcomes the good spirit, the good energy, because they smell that incense and it, it attracts them over there. And then at the same time, while it's attracting that spirit and energy, it's it's um it's chasing away the negative energy. And it's it's pushing the negative and the negative energy doesn't like it, so to speak. It it doesn't like being around it. So when that cedar is burned, it attracts the good the good energy spirits, and then it chases away the bad energy and the bad spirits.
0: So much, so much good information on our show today. So many wonderful stories. Uh, really appreciate all of our guests today and our one caller for just so much. So much wisdom and knowledge regarding traditional uses of cedar. Uh, Unfortunately, we are going to have to wrap up, folks. It is Friday. But uh, I want to say thank you to our three guests today, Harold Joe, Reuben Littlehead, and of course, Chef Dave Smoke McCleskey for what's been a really engaging conversation on the many uses of cedar among Native people. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves-Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Koanic Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. Have a safe weekend. I'm Sean Spruce.
5: This program is supported by Strong Hearts Native Helpline. (inaudible) Keshe
3: Anna to take flu to be squad like Kuea Kiuchinan to the Nakahana to Jampasi Ibut to the Tonisa Quedap two. How deep is that Tonisa Quedap two? Jump to Nakwa Mos Awash of the www.medicare.gov slash coverage flu dash shots. Kunawa to. Look here, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services don't open and need to lock in elacqua.